0: Welcome to Broadway Radios, this week on Broadway for Sunday, November 20th, 2022. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, is now available and can be purchased wherever finer books are sold. Peter has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi, hello. Wherever wherever finer books are sold is wherever one word or two <laughs> words. I uh, one word, <laughs> one word. I have it wrong in my in, in my script.
1: If, if you can find a place where fine books are sold, um, this is true.
0: <laughs> this is true. You know, uh, it, it's hard to find uh, actual bookstores. Although uh, I guess we'll be talking about we'll be will we be talking about the drama bookstore later later today or. Certainly <laughs> <laughs> we certainly may. We certainly may. I don't know where the Al Hirschfeld uh, book signing, not book signing, but uh, mm-hmm. book event was. So also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. So, Peter, you're back from your uh, – you were not with us last week as you were waiting for Spectrum and your computer to be set up because you just <laughs> made the move uh, from Midtown to the – I guess you were officially in the village or not?
1: 15th Street. Is that village? Uh, That's sort of village, yeah. yeah okay. Absolutely.
0: NYU area. So yeah. – uh, <laughs> So uh you got all, you, you, did you get a chance to reorganize the uh, playbills did you move some of the playbills from the oven to a d- different cupboard
1: <laughs> no the oven was for important papers that's what the oven was uh. for no um no the, the I had professional movers do it, it cost me thousands of dollars and it was well worth it but all the playbills about to order so um they're going to have to be um over the years, uh, put back together and the same thing with everything else. Uh, they, they shoved everything into boxes and, um, certainly had no. Um, reason to 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 be careful enough to do everything alphabetically. So yes, it's going to be a long, long procedure of getting everything back alphabetically. But um, uh, so I shall, you know. And then 117 boxes. I didn't know I had a demo of. I remember, Mama. Who knew?
0: <laughs> there it is. You know. So <laughs> I, I misremembered this. I thought your playbills were organized by opening night.
1: No, no. There was a time when I used to file albums by uh performance numbers but um (laughs) and every week move them up eight performances (laughs) i think it's one of the reasons (laughs) my wife divorced me i want to hear camelot where is it what are you looking at right now? Let it ride. No, no, you got to go much more to the right. Okay. Um, well, damn Yankees! No, no, no. To the left. To the left. No. So yeah.
0: There could have been worse things. It's you the bet. little things. It's the little you things. Bet. The little things, right? You'd
2: do together or not?
0: <laughs> I, 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 it must have been. It must have been Matthew Murray who organized by opening night. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of maybe, it was, maybe it was Matthew yeah, that Richard did
1: Yeah, Richard Norton does. Yeah, yeah, sure.
0: All right. So uh, in our review section, Michael and I got to see And uh, Juliet. Peter, you're coming up to see End Juliet soon? Tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. So we'll talk about it again next week. But Michael and I saw two different performances. And at my performance, Romeo was out. And in Michael's performance, Juliet was out. What is going on there? So, mm-hmm. Michael, tell us about your experience at Anne Juliet. Well, first of all, i uh, you know, I
2: think what's going on there is either COVID or the flu. Apparently, the flu mm. is really yeah. bad this year. Mm. Um, so, you know, I hope everybody stays healthy. Uh, mm. But yeah I loved uh, uh, this show is very much in the Mamma Mia vein I would yes, say where yes. uh, existing pop songs are are stuck into a, a a newly created story uh in this case the newly created story is based on a very old story uh the Romeo and Juliet story um but while I hated mm. Mamma Mia with the passion of a thousand mm. burning suns <laughs> Mm. i really really love this show and to me the huge difference is while mamma mia is completely witless and free of humor um this one is very witty and charming and very 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 funny um so let me immediately give credit to the book by david west reed um uh and then uh the uh well also the the director is Luke Shepherd, and the choreographer is Jennifer Weber and all of those elements I think really add to the show greatly um this is a a very f- very funny jokey sweet um hilarious show about uh, the concept being that anne hathaway <laughs> um not the the current one right uh, but <laughs> which is uh, one, of the, one, one of the yeah. one of the jokes in the show yeah uh but uh, shakespeare's wife um shows up and she kind of objects to the fact that uh she you know that she's taking uh, she's home with the kids while he's Becoming a you know a world famous icon, and she she also objects to um, the way that Romeo and Juliet turns out uh the story so she um they agree that they're going to rewrite it together <laughs> basically um but then that you know that that doesn't go that well uh so much and it leads to conflict and um one thing about this show is i i hadn't read a lot about it beforehand i i knew obviously from the title and juliet that it focuses on the character of juliet i didn't even know if romeo was going to eventually turn up uh, and I guess it's not too much of a spoiler to say that he does, uh, without telling you how he, how he turns up and when he turns up. Um, but, uh, so let's leave it at that. Um, the, I'm also, I am not the target audience for this show because I am going to tell you, although you won't believe me, I think I knew a total of two mm-hmm. of the songs, the pop songs that were included. And those two were I Want It That Way. And oops, I did it again. Um, all of the other numbers, it's, it's, it is similar to Mama Mia in the sense that, um, characters will be talking and then suddenly they'll launch into a pop song and the audience will start to laugh <laughs> as they recognize the pop song. But, um, I kept turning to my friend uh, who I went with and saying, "What's that? What's that?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I didn't know what the songs were. Uh but I still loved it. The the jokes are very very funny, I think, and the character relationships and the whole plot uh, and the way that that the these two uh, Shakespeare and Anne Hathaway attempt to rewrite uh, Romeo and Juliet. I I I just thought it was very very clever uh, there were a couple of places in act 2 when it started to get more serious where i thought it it stumbled a little bit but just just a little not not enough to really um hurt my enjoyment of the show the the audience really seemed to love it the cast is phenomenal if you didn't already love betsy wolf oh, um yeah You will you will love her now as Anne Hathaway Uh, and uh, Stark Sands. Great to have him back on Broadway as Shakespeare. Really, really funny and charming. Um, uh, Paolo Schott is in it. Uh, also, Justin David Sullivan, Melanie Labari, Ben Jackson Walker is uh, the Romeo who eventually turns up, and Philippe Arroyo as, as Francois. And uh, did I say Justin David Sullivan is May? That, that's an important character in this in this show and the the uh, Juliet that I saw who was absolutely brilliant did not miss a, a step or a, a lyric um seemed to know exactly what she was I wonder if it's the very very first time she went on um I I think maybe it was uh but it's hard to believe her name is Rachel Webb and you will definitely be hearing from her again because she was absolutely fantastic I this show was a very very happy surprise for me i didn't expect to love it
0: i loved it too (laughs) so so much fun and i i mean i really think betsy wolf stole the show she (laughs) she just as anne hathaway yeah really brought uh such incredible heart to the show i saw Lorna courtney as juliet and she was amazing as well uh i i couldn't place paulo zott when I was uh, when I was watching the show and at intermission, I was like, "Oh, of course, yes, it follows on." I was uh, I just really loved this, and uh, my wife uh, is really into the boy bands and popular music and things like that. So, tons of the Backstreet Boys influences uh, in, in this show. Uh, you know, we 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 knew the songs right away. <laughs> uh, just really. A really good interleaving of, of theater and the, and the music and things like that. And you had mentioned about the book writer, David West Reed, hmm. who, uh, is an Emmy winning, uh, uh, a writer and producer. He did Schitt's Creek on television. Uh, but his, uh, bio, uh, finishes with, David is a graduate of the Juilliard School and NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. Wow. So certainly he's got, uh, you know, theatrical blood in his veins to attend those two schools, uh, even though he is best known as uh, as a television writer. Uh, but he re- they really nailed so many different genres in a show. Uh, certainly this show is... An, you know, it's not going to be, it's not going to be meant for typical Broadway theater goers, but I think that it, it, uh, addresses an audience of people that, uh, will really enjoy this, who have a lot of, uh, pop culture influence. Uh, and I think that given what's, um, what's been happening over K-pop in the last week or so, hmm. K-pop moved back its uh, opening night and they're having a little bit of ticket sale problems and things like this. I thought K-pop was going to be the runaway pop hit, uh, but could be and Juliet.
2: Yeah. Uh, I remember you said that. And, and then I, I heard about k I didn't know if it was, it was just anecdotal, but I heard that they're not selling that.
0: One. Yeah, they're not. They yeah. their Their ticket sales are not selling and they're, sort of scrambling and they've had a bunch of COVID outages and had to cancel performances and they push back opening night a week and uh and then we got a, I uh, I'm not gonna say panicked, but an interesting <laughs> interesting email from the press reps asking us to come early. Uh oh which, mm-hmm. So did you see the DK and d k c o m and M sent out an email asking us to come early? I don't know if you got that as sure. well. No, I think so. No, I don't think, so. No, yeah. I don't think so. so. Yeah. They were like, uh, yeah, we, uh, thought we'd invite you before opening night, which is hmm. interesting. Uh, so, <laughs> but, uh, the, the end Juliet, I think is going to be, um, it's going to be great on the Tony awards. And I think sure. it's going to sell a lot of things now. Peter, when you see it, I suspect you're not going to know any of the songs. I so was going to say
1: uh, that, in fact, uh, the two songs that Michael mentioned, I didn't know at all. Uh, <laughs> so, not that I know of. You know, it yeah. may, very, yeah. may very well be the one I hear. them say, oh, yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, but, um, but what I do want to say, speaking of schools, and I may have mentioned this before, but uh, I was at the University of Cincinnati teaching master classes for more than 20 years. And only once, only once did Aubrey Berg, the head of the department, say – we have an incoming freshman next year. I am telling you, she is sensational. She's Betsy Wolf, That's mm. her name. Mm. And again, this is the school that uh, did Ashley Brown, the original Mary Poppins, and Christy Altamar, the original Anastasia, and Shoshana Bean. Uh, a lot of great people have come out of that school. And yet, she's the only one that he mentioned in advance as being terrific. So there you have it.
2: Yeah, one more one more thing about um, and Juliet. Uh, it's true that it, it it's not primarily aimed at a traditional theater audience, but it, it is very smart about Shakespeare. Um, there are lots of references all through it. I, I really laughed at one point. Um, Anne Hathaway uh, is is ticked off at her husband, and she says something like, "Well, you wrote a ho- whole bunch of sonnets apparently to a boy." Uh, you know, <laughs> and, you know, it's just so it, it's uh you know, it, it speaks to the the book writer's uh wit and intelligence, I think, that there's enough in there to keep uh Shakespeare scholars uh and Shakespeare enthusiasts interested as well.
0: So I think that uh Betsy Wolfen might have a nomination in front of her this uh this upcoming season. Yeah, yeah, I think so. This yeah, upcoming she's season. She's a
1: lovely lady too.
0: She's she really is. Person. She really is wonderful so that is and Juliet we'll talk about it again next week uh, when uh, Peter gets to see it and uh, yeah we'll have a link to that in the show notes I, I think it's gonna be a hard ticket to get and uh, how big is the how big is the time? it's not that mm. not that no, large no it <laughs> really isn't no it's
1: about it's, a thousand seats but, I think uh, thousand fifty-five.
0: thousand fifty five thousand uh-huh. fifty five seats so you know you might have Book of Mormon feel there, where it's going to be hard to get a seat because it's a popular show and it's mm-hmm. not that large of a theater. So mm-hmm. check that out. So the three of us got over to the Booth Theater to see uh, the transfer of the off-Broadway production of Kimberly Akimbo. So Peter, why don't you get us started off on this? Mm-hmm
1: well uh it's a it's a wonderful musical in many respects uh it's it's a terrific story and um the lines by uh, David Lindsay Bear as he adapted his own play is um, they're really terrific as well <laughs> um, His lyrics are wonderful as well a lot of surprises a lot of um, laughs uh, within them so all that's fine and um, we certainly have a a, a show stopping song uh, by Bonnie Milligan early in the show. Who is tremendous beyond belief? Um, because she plays an amoral character, <laughs> it just doesn't begin to occur to her when she does anything wrong that it matters. Um, never mind breaking laws. I mean, she lugs in something that you wouldn't expect anybody to lug into an apartment, but nevertheless, there it is. So she's terrific, and Victoria Clark's terrific, and Justin Cooley, who is so uh, mm-hmm. a young man um uh, may i uh begin to read his bio where he says justin cooley is the recipient of drama desk outer critic circle Lortel, and antonio nominations as well as a clarence derwin award a theater world award the clive barnes award all this from this show i mean he made such an impression last year and thank god he's back his sense of timing is amazing victoria clark plays a, a, a well a girl but A woman uh, in the sense that she looks like a woman because she has that terrible disease um, where you age um, at four times the rate of your actual age. And here she is approaching 16, which I usually say is it for people with this disease. And um, she's approaching it. And uh, so therefore, um, she's uh, quite elderly in terms of um, her disease. So Anyway, uh, she goes to high school, and it's nice that nobody makes fun of her. And I think some of that maybe we can infer has to do with the fact that they've uh, grown up with her and they're used to her. But Justin Cooley is strangely attracted to her, um, both in a term, uh, he plays a character named Seth. Um, and uh, it has to do with the fact that uh, he likes her mind and he wants to work on a project with her. Though he is taking a bit of advantage of her, and he feels bad about that as time goes on. Um, the problem is that, uh, Kimberly has a terrible home life because, uh, she has a mother who's accident prone and, um, a little ditzy and a father who's quite the rummy, um, drinks quite a bit. Um, and so that's a problem as well. The mother's pregnant and makes no bones of saying, I hope we have a perfect child this time, mm-hmm. uh, which makes her feel terrible. So, um, and into their lives comes, um, uh, the mother's sister, um, Kimberly's aunt, who indeed uh, they've been running away from. And as time goes on, you find out some reason why. And it's a serious reason. Um, But um, the problem with the show, it's so sad. We want a happy ending for Kimberly. And to a degree, she gets a a happy ending. Um, However, it doesn't happen in a legal way. Uh, and that really bothers me tremendously. I really wish that there were a way that David Lindsay Abair could have found happiness for his character, if indeed, um, in a legal way. But there's no question that what Kimberly does is wrong. Um, illegal and wrong. Hmm. And I, I feel terrible about that because I'm with her. I'm rooting for her all the way, expecting Hmm. That she's going to find a loophole in this terrible thing that her aunt wants her to do. It's um, it's only a cast of eight, and um, there are four essentially backup uh, people who are really terrific as well. But Stephen Boyer, who was magnificent in Hand of God. And to God, um, is magnificent here too, is, is the father and Ali Mazi is wonderful as the mother. It's a terrific cast. Um, Janine Sasori's music, um, is a lot of patter songs. Um, David Lindsay Bear gave her a lot of eighth notes. And, um, <laughs> so there's a lot of that. So when people talk about this daughter tune you can hum, uh, these are songs that really aren't meant to be hummed, uh, because they're, they're so quick and, um, so, Everything's successful except that really big wrinkle that I really wish – I can't find a way out of it, frankly. I wish I could say that, um, you know what could have happened here? That would have been Mm. great. I can't do it. Um, So it's really too bad um, that um, what we're essentially saying is if you can um, skirt the law and get what you want, well, so what?
0: Hmm. All right. So, Michael, what would you think?
1: Yeah, I think when we talked about
2: the show and it played off Broadway that Peter and I mentioned then that we both had that same problem with the with that plot point in act 2 and I, I'm going to say a little more about it. I don't think it's a uh, a spoiler to say that it's mail fraud. Uh and uh, a, an additional problem I have with it is that the the aunt um recruits not only Kimberly but all of the kids in the show uh to be her you know, accomplices in the mail fraud. And it's just to me, it's like they're they're too smart for that and and too moral for that. The kids, I don't think um, that they it didn't seem believable to me that they would fall for it. And another thing is, is that the aunt isn't even um, consistent in her own logic about it. At one point, she tells them that they won't get in trouble because they're so young. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. uh, they won't get in trouble with the law because they're so young. But then a minute later, she says, "If you know, if if you screw up, we'll all go to jail."
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, um, you know, I mean, shouldn't she, shouldn't she at least be consistent in, in you know, uh, in her own what she's saying, whether it's bullshit or not, uh, you know? So I, I, I wish that had been rewritten. I don't remember if that plot point was exactly the same in the play. Do you, Peter?
1: um i don't remember the play at all i was talking to linda last night and saying boy i'd love to see a production of the play now i'm actually mm. going to look for one i don't know if they're allowing uh productions of the play sometimes they don't do that yeah but um but you know, if there's a community theater doing a, a play version of this i want to go of course what i could always do is go to the drama bookshop right like we did too but right. um anyway yeah. go on
2: um so that is that i have that problem uh i uh and yes, about the the way that it affects the ending. Uh, I don't think it would have been too difficult um, to figure out some other way for Kimberly to get money. But anyway, <laughs> um, whatever. We'll just have to chalk it up as a uh, as an unfortunate error in the otherwise really fabulous book by David lindsay Bear, based on his play. And I agree with you about the lyrics. I think they're great. We mm-hmm. should certainly mention um, uh Janine Tesori's music. I I think that the the play has been beautifully, beautifully musicalized. Um, probably, you know, one of those cases where you see the musical and you think, oh, you know, how could this ever have just been a play? Uh but mm-hmm. then if you see the play, you you would say, yeah. well, this is c- completely satisfying in its own right. Um, another t- a tip of the hat to Jessica Stone. Who um started out as an actress uh and has become a really superb director um based on this play alone I would say um so robert dehar i um i I loved uh seeing the performances uh, uh again of both uh Victoria Clark and Justin Cooley because I think yeah they're uh I think they're both brilliant and I would not be surprised if each of them, both of them, won Tony Awards uh for this. So let's hope that happens. Um but the rest of the cast, Ali Mausey is the mother and uh Stephen Boyer, Bonnie Milligan, and, and the and the the kids, the the young people <laughs> playing the teenagers are first of all n- completely credible as teenagers and just really, really fantastic. Um victoria clark i uh, I just love her performance so much. One thing that occurred to me when i when I was seeing the sh- show again was that um in a way uh Victoria is miscast uh just in terms of physical size uh in the play of Kimberly Akimbo, the Tyler role was played by Mary Louise Burke, who is tiny mm-hmm. and it seemed like m- m- more believable in that sense that um I would think that someone with that disease would probably not grow to be very tall. Uh so that so she was better cast in that sense but I don't think you know uh, uh, Victoria Clark is so wonderful in the part I don't think that will even occur to to most people. And here's another thing I, that I think we mentioned last time they never say the name of the disease even when um Victoria and the uh, Justin Cooley character do their science project on it uh even then they don't say it uh it it seems to resemble a a disease called progeria Mm -hmm. but i'm wondering if um they don't say it because maybe they don't say it because maybe the symptoms don't exactly match progeria and they didn't want to um uh, you know, to offend, uh, or upset people who have that disease. Um, I, I would love to ask that question to David Lindsay Bear when, when and if I get to talk to him. Um, but that is interesting to me that it's not mentioned and I'm not sure if that's the reason or if it's uh, something else. Anyway, um, this, uh, I, I'm delighted that the reviews, uh, for this have been through the roof just out and out raves i don't think i i've read anything negative about it uh, in fact i think maybe today we've, we've we've been a little more negative about certain little aspects of it uh, uh-huh. than anything that i've read uh but it's it's just just great and i think maybe there's room for one new musical like this every season <laughs> at most uh you know it's not it's not uh it's not a songbook musical. It's not a jukebox musical. It's not, uh, based on a, a famous movie. It's not, it doesn't have a major st- movie star in it, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but, uh, hopefully it, it seems like it's going to do well based on the rave, rave, rave reviews and the phenomenal word of mouth.
0: So, uh, I'm going to add to the raves here that we, uh, I really loved this, uh, this production, um, and that uh what I was thinking of was back to uh a number of seasons ago, I guess it was uh Peter Michael, you can tell me when did avenue q play was it two thousand one or is it
1: three wasn't it two
0: thousand three something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. whereas uh uh, you know, Avenue Q was the very small musical mm-hmm. that could, mm-hmm. and it was up against other big yeah, good popular point. musicals. Right, and,
1: right. Yeah. Uh, and here comes Some Like It Hot. Yeah. And here that's comes a, Some like, like It a, Hot. That's and a very we good have, analogy, yeah. And
0: Juliet, and mm-hmm. we're going to have A Beautiful Noise, and we're going to have... Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of other, uh, <laughs> I don't think Bad Cinderella is going to be a problem for it. but
2: <laughs> oh, <you> know, <laughs> Yeah, but bear in mind that a lot of those shows, uh, well, several of those shows won't be eligible for best score. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, but we, we, you know, only the three of us talk about best score. Best musical is what everybody else talks about. Right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> and so it's, uh, and K-pop is also going to, we, we don't know how. You know, certainly off-Broadway K-pop did extraordinarily well and was a very hard ticket to get. We'll have to see how K-pop opens up. But uh, it seems like the the horse race in June of 2023 is going to, Kimberly Akimbo is going to be fighting it out in a number of categories. Um, And I'm looking forward to that. This was, um, my I I swear to you, my only problem with this show is the name. Uh uh uh, because I think the name does absolutely nothing to help them sell tickets. Mm. Uh, and some, people I don't...
2: Have, some people are also objecting to the uh, the logo art, but for whatever that's worth, but it's hard, you know, I don't know what I would do.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and, and while uh, uh, the rainbow there, uh, is, is that what you're talking about? They're objecting to the use of the rainbow.
2: Well, I uh, just, the, I guess the whole image and what that they don't, you know, they just don't, I'm not sure exactly what they don't like about See, it. See, this
1: is a good point, though. The rainbow um, image does suggest a gay musical, doesn't it?
0: Perhaps. Some people and and might there, interpret are, that. There, there is a second line story of that that's very, very funny. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, not, <laughs> it's hardly the main event.
0: No, right. absolutely hardly the main event. And the the use of the, the candy necklace, mm. which was used, in the first 10 seconds of the show and never seen again. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I, all those things don't help them sell tickets. I, I, you know, and this is a big change between, a big difference uh, we've talked about in the past between Hollywood and Broadway is that uh the studio would be like, we're changing the name and the writer's got nothing to say about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas on Broadway, we're changing the name and the writer's like, no, you're not. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but they do nothing to help them sell tickets. Uh, the Booth Theater, just in keeping with our little trend here this morning, has got 700 and 7, 766 seats. Mm-hmm. So this is the little musical that could. Uh, <laughs> and it's, again, um, it's selling vi- very high percentages because of its a 766 seats hard to get Mm -hmm. a ticket so we'll have to see what happens in in the future here but i really hope that kimberly kimbo uh does very well and lots of people get to see it Uh, it's it's wonderful wonderful show oh rob johnston in our chat room brings up that the on the logo the uh the rainbow is the old six flags great adventure logo Which plays, ah. which really puts a nice piece in the puzzle there. Rob, that's awesome, but I don't think it Mm. translates. I mean, I remember Great Adventure really well, (laughs) and I totally never made the connection if they had done something like that. But that Six Mm. Flags Great Adventure is a big part of that story. Mm. Uh, It sure is. Mm. So, yeah, that makes total sense, although it didn't quite translate for me. So, uh, Michael and I already talked about almost famous, but Peter, you were not here last week, and I want to hear your take upon this uh, this this movie musical <laughs> conversion to Broadway.
1: Ah, and they say that Bobby in Company is a cipher. <laughs> You know, that character is 6.6 on the Richter scale compared to William Miller and Almost Famous. Um, Here's a kid who goes around um, following a rock band that uh, he manages to get an assignment from Rolling Stone magazine. And, you know, all this would seem utterly unbelievable given the fact that he's still in high school, but this is Cameron Crowe's story. Uh, This really happened uh, when Cameron Crowe was a kid. He did uh, follow the allman brothers and uh, that's what it's really based on so uh, you might say to yourself how does a mother let a 15 year old kid go on the road with a rock band but apparently his mother did so but you know again as i often say it has nothing to do with reality um for an audience it has to do with what you can make them believe and i'm i'm amazed that even when this movie was very popular the people bought that i always thought that was rather uh, weird but anyway the point is in the movie, William, uh, wonderfully played by a, a, an open-faced, innocent young man, um, reacts. I mean, that's what he does more well than anything else. And in, in a musical, he could react in song. He could step forward, um, center stage, and sing what he feels. He rarely, rarely does. Um, let, let's do the math. The Playbill's list of musical numbers show William in nearly nine of the show's 27 numbers and three reprises in only two is he listed first of the remaining seven Russell Hammond, the star for perhaps the up and coming band Stillwater gets first billing twice. Penny Lane, Russell's sometimes girlfriend and full-time groupie, even though she hates that term Mm -hmm. receives it five times. And why not? They're the more compelling characters. But William could have been more of one. People sing in musicals when they're so worked up over what's happening, when mere speech can no longer contain. So, where's William's song after he's disappointed that Russell and the others dumped their manager for the supposedly better one after only minutes before they staunchly insisted that they wouldn't? Why doesn't he get outraged that Russell's essentially selling Penny for $500 to another group? Why doesn't he sing about that? Um... After that incident, he merely speaks while background music plays. I find that very interesting. If background music is playing, why aren't they singing? Well, that, that's, clearly, that's a place for a song. And when Rolling Stone rejects his story, he silently storms off. What's he thinking? You know, uh, let's hear it. So, um, really, uh, Penny's... Uh, really is the one who seems to be uh, the focus of the show. And, you know, she's a mysterious character. Mysterious characters grab our attention. And here's one who admits that that's not her real name. You know, so, um, and she's the big, um, grand diva of the groupies. Um, actually, they call themselves Band Aid. Um, that they help the band. All right, perhaps, but anyway, um, so she's the <laughs> one who takes William under her wing and under uh, and other things too. So, um, but. I'm just waiting for William to take charge. And yes, he doesn't. And you know, it's sort of funny that, um, for a show that talks about rock, um, it, it really vaguely winds up insulting rock. Um, there's a rock critic, um, Lester Bangs, and, um, he's considered a big deal in the movie. He is really like, uh, the, the dean of rock critics. And here he's played for laughs. Rob Colletti um, does that. I mean, of course, it's the way he's directed, it's the way um, they wanted him to be. But the, he, he suggests much more self-importance and pretentiousness than Philip Seymour Hoffman did in the movie, um, who really believed in what he was saying. This guy seems to be a clown. And so... Um, it, who knows if that's the direction of the performance. It's, of course the responsibility is often is also no is always that's the word I'm looking for. Always the directors. So um and you know, where's Lester's song at the end of the show too? There's mm-hmm. one that he should have because mm-hmm. um he has a, a, a big speech about you know we're we're the uncool guys you know, win are the stars and that should be a song as well. So what music there is, I thought was very pleasant and, um, uh, uh, I, the lyrics were okay. Um, and, um, I thought Chris Wood was very good at playing Russell. Um, Solia Pfeiffer, uh, uh is very good as Penny Lane as well. So, um, but, yeah, uh, it's it's one of those two and a half stars out of four musicals. Um, it 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 doesn't um, grab you in the way that we've been talking about in Kimberly Akimbo, or, or the way that um, my colleagues here um, talked about me and Juliet. It it it, mm. you know, and <laughs> I, I I Casey Likes is the name of the young man who plays William, and um, much too old. Um, you know, you might buy that he's 15 years old if you're okay in the balcony, but uh, yeah, you know, anybody who's in an orchestra seat, yeah, and, um, and, and in real life, um, he's, he's he's about to be 21, I think it is. Um, but um, the kid in the movie, um, was um, literally 16 going on 17, and um, and he made William Seamus inexperienced as Lisa Bontrup, for that matter. So, um. <laughs> But um, also in terms of insulting rock, I'm surprised, you know, when, when Michael was earlier talking about the traditional Broadway theater goer, um, I'm starting to believe the traditional Broadway theater goer is, is certainly a, a younger person who likes rock um, since <laughs> I hear so many woos. And um, um, so it's very interesting to me that the crowd, even though it was a young crowd, seemed to be on the mother's side i guess you know a lot of these people who um were well it, it takes place in 73 and i guess a lot of people who come to this musical um were may have been about 15 when they were in 73 and now they've had 15 year old kids of their own and they know how difficult that is um and so maybe that's why they're on the mother's side when the mother came out with her um pronouncements and um and when she has a song that starts the second act they were really on her side. And, um, so I find that kind of interesting too, but again, um, it's, it's, it's just an okay show at best, but it could have really been something if we really knew what William was thinking in song and not just in speech. So that's the main flaw of almost famous.
0: Mm. Uh, I was, uh, wanted to ask Peter if, uh, you were getting out your uh notebook and noting down all these Broadway debuts, like uh Casey likes and uh I think sure. that I think that almost famous is Solea Pfeiffer's Broadway yeah, debut that's right, she's that's been right. around. That's right. Uh, oh, really? yeah. Yes. Uh so she really is uh, uh could be also uh, in the in the running for many different uh, awards well, at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, because we do Broadway and Off Broadway, it's always more than one hundred people um, uh, <laughs> in both the male and female category. Always, I've, sure. Uh, I've I've been doing this since nineteen ninety six, and it's never been fewer than one hundred. So, um, so uh, yeah, this year it'll be substantially more, I am sure, but because uh, there are a lot of debuts happening, and we're very glad that that's happening. It's nice that people are getting their chances.
0: Did you guys see that the uh the entertainment fund also known as the actors fund is mm-hmm. uh doing a one night only chess? Yeah, I did. See. And, oh yeah. And Soleil yeah. is doing uh uh what is she she's
1: oh, someone else's story that character is it Florence? Mm, Svetlana. Ah, I uh
0: see. Lena Hall is doing Florence. Right, right.
1: And, and I just Karim. I just now
2: realized that I guess this is well I, I don't know if you would say the production uh because you know, there weren't many sets, but this is based on the version that I saw in d c uh as part of the uh at the Kennedy Center as part oh. of the that Broadway mm-hmm. center stay. but there it was a completely different cast it was Raul sparza yeah. uh, and um uh i uh i i have to say um yeah. I like Darren Chris. I, I can't imagine that I would not think that he has the vocal chops for that incredibly difficult role of Freddie Trumper.
1: Uh,
0: mm. well, uh, what's the One at Kennedy Center directed by Michael Mayer?
2: Yes, that's what the uh, yeah, and and okay. this and the, with a book, a new book by uh what's his name?
0: That's Chelimote Kamsoel. Uh and <laughs> uh, Danny Strong.
2: Yeah, I'm sorry, we I didn't have the notes up because yeah. I didn't know we were going to talk yeah,
0: about it. No, yeah, no, no. Yeah. So Bjorn and Benny, Tim Rice, Danny Strong, Michael Mayer, uh let's see, who else? Darren Chris, Lena Hall, Remy Caramlu, Solea Pfeiffer. Uh so yeah. So uh and um Rob Johnson in the chat room brings up that uh that Soleil Pfeiffer was in Songs for the New World at City Center, of course. And uh, so she's she's having a good year. Yes, so. indeed.
1: Um, <clears throat> however, uh, that night when chess is happening, I'm going to be at Your Own Thing, um, which uh, is going to be done as a benefit for the, I think, Red Bull Theater. And, oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. A 1968 musical um, uh, dealing uh, with Twelfth Night. And um, very much of it's time, and that's going to be the fun of it. Um, you know, so many images and... Um, and, uh, concepts come from what was going on at that time in, in the world. So there's going to be a lot of, um, affectionate laughter of weren't we silly then? Uh, that's going to happen a great deal in, in your own thing. Very tuneful score. Um, (laughs) quite good indeed. And I was talking to uh Leland Palmer. Well, Linda Posner is her real name and that's what she goes by now. But I was talking to her about it. Um, and uh, she left the business a long time ago. Uh, as she said, the only role I really wanted to play was a mother, and um, I have a, a daughter named Pearl, and um, <laughs> so she's very happy with that. But that's where I'll be at Symphony Space, seven thirty on December twelfth to see your own thing. Because nobody gets it. <laughs> You'll have plenty of <laughs> opportunities to see chess. They always chess is the exactly. first show I ever saw on three separate continents. North America, <laughs> Europe, and Australia. <laughs> so, <laughs> by the so, way, yeah. the,
2: the Kennedy Center one uh, did have Ramin Karimloo uh, as as Anatoly, but it, then it had Raúl Esparza as Freddie and Ruthie Ann Miles as Svetlana and Karen Olivo uh, as Florence Vassy. But you're not going to see her back here. Right? Yeah.
0: So, yeah. 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 So the three of us got over to the Vivian Beaumont Theater at Lincoln Center to see Mike Birbiglia, the old man in the pool, Uh, being that we have our own Michael here. So, Mike, Michael, why don't you get us started on Mike Birbiglia?
2: Well, I've loved all of his previous shows, and this one is no exception. I'm so glad he's back. Uh, I'm glad he's I guess he's filling a a spot, uh, an, an empty space in the, uh, mm. in the mm. programming at the Vivian Beaumont theater, because Camelot, um, what it was originally announced to, I think it would have been playing there now. Right. Is that right? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, but
2: mm-hmm. that was pushed way back. And so the theater's sitting empty and a perfect place for Mike Birbiglia to come in and do his new show called the old man and the pool, uh, directed by seth barish um he's mike is so uh charming and funny in a in a very relatable everyman way uh anyone who's seen him uh, i'm sure would agree uh this uh the the basic theme of this piece is mortality uh but um it's very funny uh he he he's so brilliant that he's able to do that um uh, and uh the the audience just loved it the uh the guy next to me left throughout um mm-hmm. so, uh, uh, somebody else that i knew uh in the in the audience said to me um uh boy, that friend that you came with, he really loved it. He I said, No, that wasn't my friend. That was the guy on the other side of me. He,
1: he <laughs> I, I don't know who he was,
2: but he came with his girlfriend and he just laughed throughout. He he loved that show and, and so did I. Um, Mike does this thing that I, I mentioned before, and I didn't know the name for it uh the last time that I talked about it, but actually, courtesy of Jim Caruso, um, I found out that it's called a callback. That's a comedy technique where you'll yeah. say something <laughs> like, for example, and this isn't a, a specific example from this show, but you'll you'll mention in passing, uh, you know, my wife really hates baseball, you know, and we you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, it's, you know, 20 minutes later, you'll mention, so I got Yankees tickets for our anniversary, you know, and, and the audience goes, <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, he's he's brilliant at that. And he does it uh, so, so very well. Um I, I I I don't have much else to say about it. it it's uh he he goes from topic to topic one of his previous um pieces uh, plays was about his new fatherhood uh but now uh you know, now his, I mean, that, that, that child is there. Uh, and maybe there's another one too. I don't remember. Uh, and so this one is about his, his wife and his child and, and his family life. Uh, but then also these things happen that, uh, that bring up the subject of mortality. And, uh, I also won't mention how the, uh, how the, what the title means, but you'll find that out when you go, which you definitely should.
0: Yeah. And there are, uh, Really good tickets available. I mean, we talked about how big the Beaumont is, and mm. uh, odd that this show would be in there. But it, I, it felt really comfortable in there, and there's tons of tickets available, and you have uh, a few weeks to go see it. It's playing through January 15th. So, Peter, what'd you think about Mike berbiglia's show?
1: I don't find him funny, funny, but I find him endearing. Uh, a wonderful smile, um, wonderful expressions. And uh, he certainly in this show ascribed to something that Lehman Engel always used to tell his students in the uh, BMI workshop, look for humor in dark places. Hmm. And indeed, I mean, he is talking about type 2 diabetes and worse, and yet um, he's able to make it funny. And yes, some of it has to do with the fact that, as Michael was saying, the callback situation, uh, where, uh, he has a discussion with one, uh, doctor or advisor after another. And, um, they basically tell him the same thing to, to make him, uh, healthier. And he has the same conversation with each of them. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's funnier the second time when he does it because you know what he's going to say and you know what the other person is going to say too. So, um, I find it enjoyable. Uh, but, um, uh, yes, uh, by the way, I was sitting uh, close to Michael. Um, there was only, um, a couple of seats between us. We were there the same night and, um, yes, uh, <laughs> the guy next to him certainly was, um, uh, <laughs> uproarious, but, um, but you didn't hear a peep out of me. Um, I, you, you get a lot of smiles from being with Mike Berbiglia, and that's good enough because there are a lot of smiles and, um, I certainly appreciate his technique, his style, the way he engages us and all that. But, um, I don't know what it is. He just can't get a laugh out of me.
2: Well, I will say, uh, uh that, I mean, I think I know what you mean. They're, they're not belly laughs, even from the people who are laughing. They're not like the, the kind of jokes that, like in a Neil Simon player or anything like that. It's more the comedy of recognition and, and just everyday, uh, you know everyday life um but i i do i well i i guess you know that's yeah just a, a
1: well one other thing i want to mention uh what he did the new one uh about uh, having a child and how difficult that is mm. and how it changes things uh <laughs> when the audience uh reacted in um in in agreement he would say i know right right and i th- i thought that was very funny Here, he simply says, I know. He says it a lot, um, I know, um, when he acknowledges. And I think that's part of his charm, by the way, uh, the fact that he bonds with the audience in that way. uh, And I think that's uh, a very smart thing. But I I would have enjoyed that type of, I know, (laughs) Yeah, um, in in the show. Did you really? Okay, fine, yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) So when he did the new one, he had that – uh, that drop from the rafters of right. all the oh, yeah. of the of toys, all the st- of the oh, toys yeah. and everything for kids. Oh, yeah. I, I I laughed incredibly <laughs> course, hard because, course. you know, anybody sure, yep. <laughs> anybody's had young children and the toys are everywhere. I didn't find, uh, I didn't find that type of laugh in this show, but I really enjoyed Mike Birbigley, old man in the pool. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may be because of what I'm going through in my life right now sure, and sure, how I relate sure, to it. I'm sure. But I also was like, uh, that, that odd, you know, uh, bottom of the pool setting, uh, that he was playing against in the backdrop. And then he threw himself against it and slid <laughs> down it and he was on his knees. And I was like, Oh, he's not the old man yet. That's <laughs> you. I want to see you're not able to do that in another 10 years. That's, that's a tough yeah. one. Yeah. But, uh, I, you know, I, I think that there was a lot of insight there. And my wife said to me, she's like, why do we keep on seeing this guy who's a stand up comedian on Broadway? And I was like, because he's a different type of stand-up comedian. He's telling stories, which I guess a lot of stand-up comedians do tell stories, but this seems to have a full evening's beginning, middle, and and end, not just a five-minute story. Yeah, Yeah, well-written.
2: And also, we should say he's absolutely brilliant at making it seem like he's telling all this for the first time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Right? Yeah. I mean, you yeah. would never believe yeah, that that's it, true. it's, the, you know, he's mm. brilliant at that. That's not easy to do.
0: No, I totally agree. And, you know, he seems to have this formula down to a science here where he understands how to make this relatable to uh, a vast uh, assortment of people, young and old and uh, and relatable to everybody. Uh, again, this is just a, it, it, I, I really enjoyed it. And I think it was like 90 minutes or so. Yeah. Uh, no intermission. Yeah. And uh, so th- this is not a, it, this is not a, you know, a three hour thing that you have to really Plan heavily around get up to Lincoln Center. There's tons of tickets to be had. To, you well, can check tons it out of on the tickets today. to be
1: had. Yes, um, there certainly were empty spaces um, mm-hmm. at, the, at the extreme sides uh, the night uh, Michael and I were there. But what we must remember is it wasn't that long ago this guy was at the Cherry Lane. Right, mm. right. Exactly, you know, and and the point is, he has found an audience. That audience cheered like crazy when he came on. Yeah, he, he started talking. He had to stop because they weren't. They were still cheering. So uh, his his fame has really expanded in a tremendous way in a very short time.
2: I will say, as big as it is, uh, the Beaumont is. I I still find it quite intimate because of the, uh, you know, because of the configuration. The basically a three quarter thrust, I I guess you'd say, sort of. Uh, uh, um, And uh, uh, although I haven't sat in the, it's been a a long time since I sat upstairs. Uh, I'm not sure what it's like from up there, but from anywhere in the orchestra, uh, I I think it's quite intimate.
0: It's a thousand eighty seats, the Beaumont. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is. This was a, a. nice way to fill this space when camelot rescheduled uh and so this this works at this works out real well for everyone and i do believe that uh it is going to tour yeah, um sure. so you you're going to be able to see okay. this uh all all around uh and uh get to see it yourself if if not in new york then elsewhere so next up Uh, Peter and Michael got over to MCC to see Only Gold. So, uh, Michael, why don't you get a start on Only Gold? Oh, thanks. (laughs)
2: Um, This is an odd piece uh, that is – I think it's best if you – you'll probably enjoy it most if you go into it thinking of it as a dance musical uh, that happens to have a sort of a story constructed around it. Um, uh, It's directed and choreographed by Andy Blankenbuehler. Uh, of whom I am a tremendous fan. But I will say, in this case, he also is the co-author of the book uh, with somebody named Ted Malauer. And I think maybe uh, that he shouldn't have done that because the story, to me, uh, I-, I guess it's supposed to be whimsical and funny and and not taken very seriously, but I just didn't really respond to it. It, it just seemed so... Um, cliched uh i i guess they were trying to satirize cliches but it didn't really come across that way to me it's set in paris in 1928 um the royal family of cosimo uh comes to paris to prepare for the wedding of the daughter uh to a duke um who obviously she doesn't love and he's not the kind of person that anyone would would really love so we know that that's we know that's not going to happen we just don't know what is going to happen uh this songs for this piece are by uh kate nash who uh is a, a british songwriter and um uh I enjoyed the songs but there are lots of false rhymes there are lots of misaccents in the in the lyrics which make them more difficult to understand uh and also I found them very j- jarring um but the dancing uh by the aforementioned brilliant Andy Blankenbuehler uh the choreography is fantastic and brilliantly performed by the cast and also um even people who don't like this show, uh, from what I have seen of the, 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 the reviews and also just comments online and, and elsewhere, uh, everyone seems to love the design of it. And I could certainly understand that because it looks beautiful. Um, scenic design by David Corin's, costumes by Anita Yavich or Yavich, Y A V I C H, and lighting by Jeff Kreuter. Um, uh beautiful, beautiful design. And and the the lighting especially is phenomenal. I think it should get uh whatever lighting awards there are <laughs> uh okay. they would be eligible for. Um so uh and it's certainly uh a, a, a very talented cast we have uh Terrence Mann uh don't see him that often anymore so it's fun to see him uh as the uh, the the head of the Cosim, the family from the royal family of Cosimo and karine plantadi uh, she's a wonderful dancer um she's in this and 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 uh, uh lots of other really good people so uh, you might want to see it for them and for the choreography and for the design and as I said the musical is in- enjoyable I just um you know I'm, I, I don't. I don't think it's theater music. Uh, and uh, the story, I I didn't quite get the point of it.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, Peter, what'd you think?
1: I rather liked it uh, for the choreography uh, and the setting and lighting and all that goes with that. I also felt there was a vibe that this was a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I was able to go with it more than I would have if it um, struck me as a realistic story. Somehow that's what it, well, it it is. His Terrence Mann who's been married to a woman for a long, long time. And she is thoroughly bored with him. And he thinks that he can rekindle the romance by having a necklace made that uh, he once gave her that uh, she doesn't have anymore. And um, in doing so, he he winds up meeting uh, the son of the person who made the necklace because the guy who did is gone now, long dead. And um, he's a man who hasn't really reached his potential as his wife perceives it. And his wife really is very disappointed in him. She really believes that he has tremendous talent and he just doesn't have the get up and go to make it happen. And now suddenly he has a chance to make it happen and he rises to the occasion, which I think is really quite nice. The, the implication that, um, if, if so many of us, we had a chance. We would be able to succeed. We mm. need that chance. And so I liked all that. Um, but yes, it's definitely um, a choreographic uh, experience and it's a terrific one. Um, everything else that um, is in place that Michael mentioned. So I like that quite a bit. Uh, Terrence Mann, you know, it's amazing when you look at Terrence Mann's career mm. because he has been <laughs> in three of the longest running musicals of all time. He was in Cats, he was in Les Mis. <laughs> he was in Beauty and the Beast. I mean, is that amazing to be in- And major in, in, roles. Yeah, exactly. I dare say that the average person has no idea who he is. And, and by the way, I saw a workshop way back when of Jekyll and Hyde, in which he played Jekyll and Hyde, and he was sensational in that too. Sensational. So, uh, by the way, Bob Cuccioli was sensational as well. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying he was better, but he was sensational in the roles. <laughs> plural um so uh but to think really that this is a guy who has had a, a lot of employment in his life and um and not everybody knows who he is uh is is kind of amazing but i was very very glad to see him back on stage because he's a very nice person too very nice and um and i thought he was very good in the role and being a man who is a husband who still wants to be have that marriage work even though his wife has given up on it long ago so um i i was i um by the way for m c c which I would not think is a wealthy company. Hmm. I, I don't think of any not for profit as a wealthy company. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they spent the bucks on this. Oh, yeah. One. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. You know,
1: yes. uh, so look for a bunch of one person shows from now on from those people, you know, because really um, they opened the bank account for this one. So, um, so I was very appreciative of uh, going to. Um, an off-Broadway theater. Um, it's a handsome new place. They haven't been there very long. This is probably mm. their third season. Um, and 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 seeing um, so much ambition and so much of it realized.
2: To your point about Terrence Mann, uh, my guest for the show was Giuseppe Basilio, who uh, was in the uh, revival of Cats. Uh-huh. And um I said to him, uh, you know, that Terence Mann guy was the original Rum Tump Tugger, and he was like, really?
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so that's really impressive. Yeah. Suddenly cats is 40 years ago. I mean, you yeah, know, yeah. You know, it's hard to believe, but uh, <laughs> but it is.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh Terrence Mann not only has he had a long and distinguished uh, Broadway career, but has gone back to Carolina and done so much work uh, creating the That's festival right. and the North Carolina mm-hmm. Theater and things mm-hmm. like that. That just, just I, I think about. <laughs> he has twenty four hours in his day, and I have twenty four hours in my day, and he yeah, does so yeah, much more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, uh, Peter and Michael got over to Second Stage's Tony Kaiser Theater to see Camp Siegfried. Uh, best Wall Play, directed by David Cromer. Uh, Peter, why don't you get us started on this?
1: Uh, two kids are uh, in the Catskills and uh, they're in a camp. Isn't that nice? How charming. Everybody should have a sleepaway camp. Won't it be great? However, uh, we're in a period where uh, the Nazis are getting power in Germany and they're infiltrating America. And these are two kids who are indeed um, going to a camp so that they can learn to be better Nazis. It's really chilling when one of them saying, where are you staying? Oh, I'm on Hitler Street. That, that to me, was one of the most powerful lines uh, of the season uh, on Hitler Street, to think that there was a street named after him. it. makes perfect sense in Camp Siegfried. Uh, where, um, the story, though, uh, does deal with the young man and the young woman. They're the only two characters. They don't even have names. They're he and she. I don't think that's a good idea, by the way, Mm -hmm. um, to name characters generically like that. I think it distances us from, um, from really getting involved with them. Now, granted, you know, that happens if you look at the playbill and you might not. But on the other hand, um, obviously they never call each other by name. And I think that that's, that's a bit of a problem. But (laughs) there, but anyway, um, it, it becomes a a quasi love story, um, as, as you expect it would, as you, much too grudgingly uh, assume it will. And um, not enough happens, really. But I will say this. It was a fascinating thing that happened at my performance. I don't know if it happens at every performance. But there's a lot of talk about how much work these kids have to do. I mean, they are being trained to work. uh, And work is considered a wonderful thing um, because you're not shirking and so on and so forth. So there's a big tree trunk type of thing and the guy with an the kid um, has an axe and he has to split wood Mm. (laughs) and when he finally did it the audience (laughs) applauded (laughs) (laughs) Um, so uh, deservedly so you know uh, he really had to put his um, all his muscles into it to uh, do that when you're talking about tree trunks and um, and and axes I guess that tells you something about uh, the show itself it never gets as good as you want it to be
0: Mm. Mm hmm all right. So, uh Michael, what did you think?
2: Yeah, I thought the best thing about this play was the setup. Um If you look at the cast mm-hmm. page, it says Time, Summer 1938, Place, Yap, Hank, New York. And then there's a note, Camp Siegfried was a summer camp on Long Island for families and youth run by the German-American Bund, B-U-N-D. Bund, I guess you say, Uh, it operated from 1936 to 1941. So that's there to, you know, to strike at home that this was an actual place. Yeah, I thought we would see this progression of the characters during the course of the play as they became uh, more and more indoctrinated into, uh, you know, as Hitler Youth basically, and there was. Sort of that sort of happened, but not really. I, I didn't find it compelling at all. I, I thought most of the things that happened between them uh, seemed to not really have a lot to do with uh, with Hitler, Hitler and fascism and 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 Nazism. Um, there was uh, there was a little bit of um, kind of. Sexual play that they get into—it's kind of dominant and submissive, and I, I think that was supposed mm-hmm. to relate mm-hmm. to uh, to the subject matter, and I guess it does. But I, I just, uh, I found it quite boring, really. I really did, uh, despite the the wonderful performance of the of the two actors, Johnny Berchtold and Lily McInerney. Uh So uh, directed by David Cromer, by the way, who usually picks uh really interesting projects so that's another reason i was looking forward to this but i just was quite uh disappointed
0: okay so that's camp siegfried uh playing at the tony kaiser through december 4th and we'll have a link to that in the show notes uh michael you saw the new york pops uh, broadway blockbusters at carnegie hall last friday so tell us about this
2: yeah, I mean, it w- they had four fabulous guest singers, Jordan Donica, Matt Doyle, Melissa Errico, and, uh, Nikki Renee Daniels. Um, sorry, I, I was, didn't, I meant to do that in alphabetical order, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> uh, mm. and, uh, yeah, it was a great program, uh uh, 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 opened with selections from Phantom of the Opera, then Nicki Re- Renee Daniels and, and, uh, well, all four of them uh, uh, did It's Today from Mame. Matt Doyle got to sing Who Can I Turn To from Rory the Grease Paint. Uh, I Dreamed a Dream, Nikki Renee Daniels. Uh, all I Ask of You from Phantom, Nikki and Jordan. Uh, 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 Melissa Erico got to recreate a little bit of her performance in My Fair Lady. Uh, she was in the, the – uh, was that the – the second broadway revival mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's yeah. right yeah. um uh she sang, wouldn't it be lovely with four of the guys from the essential voices uh who were the the chorus for this uh for this performance um and then no, uh
1: third <laughs> sorry third, third broadway. broadway revival <laughs> yeah. oh, amazing mm-hmm. okay, right go on. <laughs> <laughs> um
2: uh oh melissa also got to recreate her a little bit of her dot uh uh, and actually well i suppose it's really the other character uh from sunday in the park with george which she had done in the sondheim festival at the kennedy center years ago because she sang move on with matt doyle and um there were uh and that was only act one or everything i've just uh, i've just told you act two uh this here's an interesting thing uh the orchestra played phenomenally throughout under Stephen Reinegie, except for <laughs> the mm. beginning of the overture from Gypsy, uh, wow. which, which opened Act Two, and there were like four or five really bad uh clams mm. Mm. from the brass. So I don't know what those guys were doing mm. uh during intermission, but <laughs> but mm. uh that, that really really shocked me. Uh and then they got it together after that, and that was the only place. In the whole concert where that happened. So I, I, I'm not sure what was up with that. Um, act two highlights were, uh, the entire soliloquy, uh, from Carousel uh, sung by Jordan Donica, who, as I'm sure many of our listeners know, is going to be Lancelot in the upcoming, um, uh, the aforementioned Camelot that's going to be done at, at the Vivian Beaumont at Lincoln Center. And I have to say, I, I enjoyed, uh, Jordan Donica as Freddie in, the most recent Broadway revival of My Fair Lady, uh, but there was nothing um, in in that, you know, what he got to do in that, uh, singing on the street where you live, that indicated to me just how phenomenal his his voice is. It's a real. It's more of a baritone than even a baritenner, I would say uh and very very rich uh very powerful, beautiful voice, so I'm looking forward to even more now to seeing him and hearing him as lancelot um uh so yeah that that was a that was a big surprise quite a quite a revelation to me, I would say actually
0: all right, so that was the new york pop's Broadway blockbusters. It was a one night only at Carnegie Hall on November eighteenth and we'll have a link to that in the show notes, so you can catch up with all the future stuff that New York Props is doing.
2: Oh, but uh, uh, also uh, Nikki also did in Act Two. She did Home from the Whiz, and I don't want to not mention that because that brought the house down.
0: <laughs> great. So, uh, Peter and Michael, you had a uh, 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 a book release event at the uh, was it at the Museum of Broadway? It was the. Uh, no, it
2: was at the uh, Heritage Auction House on the. It was side. at the
0: Heritage Auction House, but also at the Museum of Broadway. There is a uh, uh, a.
1: A Hirschfeld a, room. A yeah.
0: Hirschfeld room, and yeah. the the book uh, release event party was the American theater as seen by Hirschfeld, nineteen sixty two to two thousand two, and so uh, you both have been to the Museum of Broadway, and you both were at the book release event. So, uh, Michael, <laughs> tell us about the book.
2: Yeah, uh, it's it, it, well as you said. The title is "The American Theater, nineteen sixty two, two thousand to two thousand two, as seen by Hirschfeld." Uh, the cover image is the same one that was used for the uh, the marquee at the Hirschfeld Theater. That that wonderful image of. Uh, Hirschfeld uh using his head as an inkwell uh, and <laughs> dipping his pen into it uh and uh this is a great book i you know I haven't checked uh, I'm sure it's in the notes somewhere is this the first collection of his work in book form mm, I don't know um mm. whether or not it is uh, i mean I think a lot of people would would really like to have it because it's a it's you know it's a fairly large book i, I i'm I'm bad at this, but it's about a about a foot wide and maybe like eight inches tall. So the, and it's one page uh, per image. So they're fairly large. I, I mean, I think if you wanted to, you could buy the book and then cut out, um, you know, some of the images that you really love and frame them. Uh, they're, they're big enough for that. Or, or you could just keep it on your coffee table and impress your friends, you know, <laughs> when they come over. Cause it's really, you know, fantastic to just leaf through it. And it was done at this place I had never been before called the Heritage Auction House, um, where they are currently auctioning off uh, various Hirschfeld prints signed by uh, some Broadway legends like uh, Joel Grey is one that I I saw and there were a few others. Uh, um, There was one of, uh, I'm not sure if they're all signed, there was Michael Feinstein, there was Cheetah, people like that. Uh, So it was great to to be there because I don't usually go to auction houses. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, they have, uh, by the way, they have some other phenomenal stuff there. I recognize as soon as I walk Walked in uh without even reading the the note um dick van dyke's jacket from the jolly jolly holiday sequence in the movie of mary poppins uh but then there were you know there's a lightsaber from uh from star wars and then uh oh the original script from um uh, the orson welles uh radio version of the war of the worlds the one that caused all that panic um and then they had – you know what they had? They had a golden ticket from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Um, and so I took a picture of that, and I posted it, and I said, um, uh, I finally found one. It's amazing what you'll find when you go to the east side. <laughs> so, because, I'm, <laughs> because I'm never there. And then people were, the like, side, people, yeah. were, people were like, did you need a visa? And I said, well, <laughs> you know, blah,
0: blah,
2: blah. "So." uh I, I that was fun to be there and then the um uh the museum uh, i'll just lead into that and then peter can can say what what he wants uh <laughs> it's really a great thing uh on on 45th street um just east of broadway uh and uh beautifully designed um by a number of broadway designers and and other and other excellent people uh it's um Got really, really interesting exhibits in it. Uh, I guess the permanent exhibits, and then there will be rotating ones as well. uh, Highlights, there's a model of the Gershwin Theater that you can, it's like in the middle of the room, so you can walk around it. Uh, 360 degrees, and it shows not only the stage and the the audience, but also all of the the backstage offices and rooms, the stage manager's office, the uh the the dressing rooms with little figures in them. You know, uh, that that was really a highlight. I, I thought because uh, you don't you don't see something like that every day. Um, there is uh there there are rooms or sections devoted to uh, some of the most uh epical shows for example Oklahoma west side story rent and hamilton uh oh showboat uh, uh there's a showboat room um with a dress that was worn by a costume that was worn by rebecca luker in that revival uh there is a uh, i was gratified to see that there's a an aids memorial room with featuring um the names of hundreds of people who were lost to AIDS. And that's, that was a really, really moving moment in the middle of this, this museum. Um, There's a place uh, where you can practice the choreography for West side story. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then as Peter mentioned, there's a Hirschfeld room that includes his famous barber's chair in which he always sat uh, while sketching. That was his little shtick that he did. I guess Uh, he was, he was, he always seemed to be, um, very uh concerned about pr (laughs) uh (laughs) and uh and i think that was just something he did that you know maybe he thought well that'll be interesting to people that i can tell them that i sit in this barber's chair when i'm drawing these these legendary sketches of all these legendary people on on broadway so it's a it's a wonderful museum i um um, I was a little surprised at the price, which I, I believe is about $52 w- when you add all the fees. Uh, I mean, I think it's worth it. I hope everyone else will. Uh, uh, so I, I, I really wish it great success. I I don't know. I, it doesn't seem to me that this was set up as a nonprofit organization. I, I might have thought that would have been the way it would have been done and as uh, – as, uh, um james mentioned last week i think um you might have thought this would be something that the league uh uh, the broadway league would be heavily involved in and i guess they're involved on some level but they don't seem to be you know i mean they don't seem to be the major force behind it uh so uh those are my thoughts i i hope i hope this is a great success and it's certainly i enjoyed my visit to it so i hope you will too
0: Okay, so Peter, what would you think about the uh, book and the about the, uh, about the museum?
1: <laughs> well, when I went into the Al Hirschfeld room, I said to the young man who um, <coughs> was guarding it, I said, well, I hope the best Hirschfeld of all is in here. And he said, which one is that? <laughs> and I said, do you know who Robert Preston was? He said, no. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a, a magnificent Hirschfeld um, done as – in his unlikely casting series that um, in which he merged the faces of Robert Preston, who was then appearing in Ben Franklin in Paris and Sammy Davis, who was then appearing in Golden Boy, it has to be seen to be believed that it's one face but the two faces merged together it's astonishing i hope it's in the book but i have no idea if it's in the book because the book launch did nothing for the um hour and five minutes i was there dealing with the book i understand we're getting the book and so therefore i'll have something cogent to say about it but anyway about the museum yeah it's sensational Um, what's wonderful is so much imagination went into it that's what I really was impressed by. Um there's there's a, a, a tiny little nook where there's a typewriter. Mm. Uh, young people, you can Google that if you don't know what I mean. <laughs> and underneath there's a waste basket. With more crumpled up paper than Thomas Jefferson ever discarded when writing um, the Declaration of Independence in 1776, a little detail like that. Um, but that's what God is in the details. Well, God certainly blessed uh, the Museum of Broadway because um, there are so many little details. There's a jukebox musical tribute um, that um, has imagination as well. There are. Uh, you ease down the yellow brick stairs at one point <laughs> to get to an exhibit. You have a chance to do anagrams um with a board with um uh, metallic um <laughs> uh, not metallic um uh, magnetic letters so that you can um uh, do anagrams um and this is a part of a Sondheim exhibit in which they tell you that um you're supposed to figure out what musical uh, is an anagram of a showy centennial think hmm. about it and you'll figure that out uh so um you see uh ed kleban's dropped lyrics from i can do that which didn't even show up in class act you see um the words that harvey firestein wrote that led to i am what i am that he wrote a a, a monologue for um all and jerry herman took it from there hmm. so um so yes um the the black and white wall of the AIDS um, victims was really something and and, and there are red ribbons in a very different type of um, configuration. A lot of wonderful quotations are are on the walls, and this one stood out to me when art is created, it is not created strictly by an individual. a culture, a people, a time, and a place created it. And that's George C. Wolf, um, saying that. And he's right. And I, I, bring this up specifically because I hate when people say, Oh, that show is so dated. Well, that's the reason why. And, um, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, you get boots from Kinky Boots. There's a window card from Frozen, uh, with Susie Kurtz's name on it. What Susie Kurtz was in Frozen? Yeah, she was <laughs> because some years before there was a play called Frozen <laughs> and, um, and she was in that. So I saw um, it. Did you? Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, it's fun to see the window cards from years ago and see quotations from the critics on the window cards. breathlessly recommended said Walter Winchell um, of boys from Syracuse um, there's one um, that says um, something like the biggest hit Broadway is known in years for raisin which really isn't true um, hmm. yeah it, it, it's, it had a decent run but um, not commensurate with that statement um, and you can you can hear the, when you're in the room about the 50s where you're looking at you uh, um, window cards and images from bells are ringing and my fair lady and kissment. What you overhear from the next room is music from West Side Story. And it's so interesting that you're moving from uh, that type of Broadway to a future Broadway. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, melodies played as, as you're going through it, which is really terrific as well. For West Side Story, they replicate Doc's candy store. Yeah. And what was so impressive there was the fact that oh, everything that he's selling are in packages that were the packages you would see in
0: 1957.
1: Mm. Um, so, uh, the, the Hershey's logo back then, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it's really uh, Colgate, Kellogg's cornflakes, all that stuff um, from way back when. Um, I, I tell you, you know, even though Roxy Hart says that Sophie Tufka would defecate at her success. You see her uh, a picture of her, uh, not her, but um, uh, the outside of the Palace Theater when she was playing there, and there are banners that are enormous that say Sophie Tucker on it. So I don't, I think Sophie Tucker would be able to keep it in uh, no matter what Roxy Hart, um success <laughs> she had. She was really quite the superstar, and that really proves it. So um, there's Oscar Hammerstein's um, worksheet uh, in which she's trying to write sorry rhymes. Sorry, and you see the word curry and flurry and hurry and then you see the words furry and blurry crossed out mm-hmm. you know <laughs> because they're not perfect rhymes they may spell <laughs> nicely but they don't so blurry, but but he wound up <laughs> using blurry <laughs> yes indeed <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> he put so it back the, in <laughs> yeah pentimentos. <laughs> so so the thing is that um there's so much imagination here and um I I went in thinking, okay, I'm gonna see Dolly Levi's red dress. And I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, it's much more than that. Mm-hmm. Much more. And I'm really looking forward to writing a detailed description of what the Museum of Broadway is, which will be my December sixth column.
2: I should mention the one flaw that I noticed was uh, when it was when I was in the chorus line room, I heard uh the music in the mirror playing uh, you know, the original cast recording, obviously, of Donna McKechnie, and it was way off pitch. It was way too fast. Ah. (laughs) So I'm going to have to find out who to uh, talk to about that.
0: (laughs) 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 All right. So that's the Museum of Broadway. We'll have a link to that in the show notes, as well as a link to the Hirschfeld book. And that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to the musical moment and trivia, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayVideo.com. There's a subscribe link that we each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcast. There's many ways to get us. Spotify, iHeart Radio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to find finer podcasts, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com as well as linked to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do you have an answer for a trivia from two weeks ago?
1: Two weeks ago. It's a film from the 1950s with about a half dozen songs. Four of its cast members starred in Broadway musicals of the 70s. Two of them had their name called as Best Actress in a Musical. One other was nominated, and the other wasn't nominated at all. What's the picture? Who are the four performers? What musicals did they do? And how did they make out of the Tonys? <laughs> the 1955 film The Court Jester had in supporting roles Glynnis Johns and Angela Lansbury, who in the 70s, well, the former won for Best Actress in Musical for A Little Night Music, and the latter for Gypsy and Sweeney Todd. Also in the picture was Mildred Natwick, who was nominated in 1971 for 70 Girls, Seventy but lost to Alexa Smith in Follies. As for the court jester's star, won Danny Kay. he appeared in 1970 in Two by Two, in which he improvised, to put it politely, to the point that he was mm-hmm. denied a nomination. Mm-hmm. Tony Janicki retained his first place crown, followed by Josh Israel, Jeff Valenga, Brigadude, Paul Witty, Juliet Green, and Sean Logan. This week's question, what character in a Tony-winning musical made a financial estimate for the year 1959 before another character in the same show did one for 1964 and another one for 1974.
0: Hmm. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment?
2: Well, speaking of 1959, uh, our opener and our closer is uh, the overture from Gypsy from the original Broadway cast recording. Uh, And uh, there are no clams in the brass (laughs) 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 on this recording. Uh, So, uh, you know, one of the greatest recordings of one of the greatest overtures uh, that Broadway has ever produced. Um, So we leave you with that.
0: All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.